0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Recorded at WeWork in Midtown Toronto, this is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, hosted by Adam Leventer. E2 is the podcast where great entrepreneurs tell their story. Guys, welcome back. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, where we speak to amazing entrepreneurs, creators, and founders doing incredible things in business and beyond. And today we are rewinding back to an episode we recorded in the middle of 2018. Seems to be a listener favorite. It's the story of Soti founded by today's guest, Carl Rodriguez. SOTI is the world's most trusted provider of mobile and IoT device management solutions. The business is privately held, has 17,000 enterprise customers supported by offices all over the globe, and surprisingly has never raised venture capital. There are a bunch of great stories that came out of this conversation with Carl, including his no exit mindset and why it's dangerous for Canadian companies to continue to sell to foreign buyers. Why Soti turned down an acquisition offer from Microsoft, which by the way had nothing to do with the price. We also talk about Amazon, Google sucking of Canadian software talent, why Shopify isn't a real role model for Canadian tech, and so much more. This one starts out slow, but we quickly get into the deep end guys. And so without further delay, here we go again. Here is my amazing chat with Carl Rodriguez. Let's start with just a brief explanation of the business your customers the value proposition that kind of stuff
1: yeah so i think we started with mobile device management or as it's now called enterprise mobility management but i would say uh, i would say today we have a platform really that has a number of pieces of technology so we're well beyond really managing uh, devices or so we have uh, products if you like in our in our platform that do everything from uh, simplifying, you know, supporting, um, you know, uh, mobile workforces in, in the field, um, making it really easy, really easy to create apps. So, in fact, we've, uh, you can create apps without any programming. Um, you know, we can set security policies. Uh, you can manage IoT devices. You know, uh, there's collaboration pieces in there. We've really taken the core, if you like, the business challenges that, um, uh, the the tech challenges that any company has, if they're trying to really leverage mobility and we simplified them and added them into into a unified platform
0: but let's rewind back to the beginning so 1995 you have this vision and desire to build something um, what were you doing before this
1: so my education is actually uh in uh, computer science and mathematics so i studied at the university of toronto uh, and right before I started SODI, uh, you know, I was, a uh, at the start, I was a consultant. So in 1995, actually I incorporated SOTY because I got a contract with Nortel and, uh, really to take the contract, they, I had to have a company. So in the early days from about 1995 till 2001, I used to consult and I used to write software for companies and, you know, build or enhance the products they had in 2001, I kind of went down to my basement and I thought, hey, you know, let, let me just see if I can create a product that that really, I'm really passionate about and to kind of leverage, you know, the skills I thought I'd, I'd uh, built up. So that's where it really started, 2001. So even the, co- the companies in 1995, I would say, really creating our own product started in 2001.
0: So you began solo in the basement. I have this image of like a young Jeff Bezos, with the Amazon sign on the wall. <laughs> Um, you've probably seen that image. What were the first sort of year or two like for you? There was these new
1: early, you know, PDAs at that time. They are called, they didn't really have a cell phone, but there were these handheld computing devices. And, and I was really excited about them. And so the early software was built for those. And I could see that this, uh, this collision between the PDA and the, you know, handheld phone, which is the flip phones, those, uh, or they had at that time are also known as feature phones. I could see these two things we're going to come together and and really invent this new generation of device that became known as the smartphone. So I could smell that going on and I could see uh, there's going to be a lot of excitement in that area. So I, I wanted to jump on and become part of it um, at that time. But it was, yeah, it was a lot of, it, it was literally uh, a lot of fun. There was very little stress because I didn't, you know, when you work in companies, big companies, there's politics and bureaucracy and all the rest of that. So I was, I was just kind of, uh, you know, working uh, crazy hours, you know, because, uh, you know, when you're having fun, you know, time flies, so, uh, but uh, really a lot, a lot of fun in those early days.
0: But there is a bit of financial stress involved, right? Like, did you give yourself um, a timeline or a runway to say, okay, so I'm going to try this. And if after, say, 12 months or 18 months, uh, <sighs> I don't have a viable business um, or there's no real growth trajectory, I'll go back to the corporate world. Was that a thought at any, at any point?
1: I knew I could live on my nest egg for, you know, I don't know, maybe even a year. And so I thought, you know, let's see what I could, let's see what I could do. And, and I set some pretty uh, basic goals, you know? So I said, you know, in the first year, you know, I'd like to make $20,000 in, in revenue. Right. So mm-hmm. that, that was the target. So I set a, an early target, a pretty small target, um,
0: and, you know,
1: so I, and I said goals that I thought were achievable.
0: How quickly did you get there? The 20? Uh, so, uh, about nine months. Okay. So what was the biggest turning point? Like the first real turning point? Was it this partnership opportunity with this UK supermarket chain?
1: So what I did is, uh, when I created the product in those days, there was these online kind of web stores that sold mobile apps.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and I listed it on those online stores. And there was, uh, at that time, the biggest one in the world was a company out of the U.S., known as Hendango uh, out of Texas, and so so that was really my major source of revenue, all the sales on on Handango, and then um, I also you know created my own website where they can buy the software, but it would actually in the end get sold out of that Hendango company. So I guess the um, this major um, uh, UK-based retailer discovered uh, our product or or my product at that time, uh, you know through Hendango. And that became, yeah, my first big customer, uh, but I had, uh, you know, day-to-day, uh, sales, you know, smaller numbers, uh, coming in. So th- they were, it wasn't only on them, right? So that was the first big customer, but then, you know, slowly, but surely I got other big customers.
0: Did they know that you were a solopreneur at this point? Like, did you have a team or were you still working by yourself?
1: So, um, no, I didn't have, I didn't have a team. I was just one guy in a, in a basement. Right. So, uh. So they, uh, you know, they, they called up, you know, I, I picked up the, I had, a, I had a phone in the basement, they called up and they said, hi, can I speak to sales, you know, and I put the phone on my desk and then I pull it up and I said, hello, sales. So um, it was just, it was just me in those early days. I, I actually resisted hiring people initially because I, I, you know, I was concerned that I might, you know, maybe this is a blip.
0: This thing grows uh, significantly and then there's an undisclosed offer microsoft in 2006 to buy soti is that correct
1: yeah so basically i went to a trade show um uh in in vegas and uh it was a microsoft trade show and you know i went with you know i think one other guy who i hired as a developer (laughs) so we didn't have a marketing team so we we went down there and uh, we were demonstrating our software and our software was used to add to manage and support the early uh, Microsoft mobile devices of the, the, the day, which were running um, an operating system called Pocket PC or Windows Mobile, it became Windows Mobile. At that time it was called the Pocket, uh, Microsoft Pocket PC operating system. And they came over and they saw our software and, and I guess they were, seemed pretty impressed. And then when I got back to the office, they, they you know, I, I got a, I got a call and they said they wanted us to come down to Redmond. Me and the same uh, developer uh, went down to Redmond. And, uh, you know, we demonstrated our software and we thought it was a pretty good demo. And then when we came back, I got another call and they, you know, it was their mergers and acquisition uh, guy. And and he said,
0: you know, we want to buy your company. And this is not tempting for you at all? Uh, It
1: was kind of scary, actually, because I I was kind of having fun. Uh, I was enjoying, uh, you know, you know, this most, if you like, most enjoyable part of my career uh, thus far, you know, uh, it was exciting right so you so and suddenly i i, I kind of got nervous because if i didn't sell it to microsoft and they were interested in this technology um you know they're microsoft they're a multi-billion dollar company you know the thought was could they just build this technology themselves or buy up another company who will then have the same technology and literally put me out of business? so so that was uh, it was exciting but nervous you know and a lot of people most everybody pretty much are recommended to me to really take the money and run. <laughs> but? But, um, you know, I, I thought about why I started the company, right, and I started the company because I wanted to build something that I was really passionate about, I wanted to um, really do something that I really enjoyed, and here I was really accomplishing those two goals and producing something that, you know, many people around the world were starting to pay attention to. Um, so I thought, you know, um, and it was never really about the money, right? So, you know, I didn't raise a bunch of VC funding or or, or anything like that because it's not really about the mo- money. I really wanted to really do this as a long term, so uh, as a long term kind of, you know, way of making a living. So I, I, you know, I so I thought about it over the weekend, and on the Monday I, uh, you know, notified them that I wasn't interested.
0: Tough opportunity to walk away from, though. I mean, Microsoft is a huge name you decided from a very early on uh, stage that you would create something that like you said that you're passionate about and you had this sort of no exit mindset uh, which you continue to have um why are you so adamant about that
1: i guess you know i think a lot of um startups right the the, they're wired really a different way like they're wired to say hey i want to make i want to make a bunch of big bucks and i want to cash out and and I don't know, drive uh, a fancy car or, or you know live on a beach or something, right? That's not how I'm wired. Uh, I really, I, I from the start, I wanted to create good technology, and I wanted to create a good company with good ethics and good values, and and really create something that you know people around the world would be able to use to really do something, uh, you know, help them in their in their business or or you know whatever the heck they're trying to do, right? So that's what was my goal, right? So it's not, it's not about money. So, so very quickly I began to get approached by VCs and and other companies who wanted to buy and and they were quite surprised that I did not have an exit strategy. And in fact, that was the first question for most VCs. And when I said, I don't have an exit strategy, there's like usually a, like a gap in the conversation while they process that information. So, um, and, and I, 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 I think you know the people were surprised because so they these VCs contact a lot of Canadian companies who they think have potential and there's this one little guy in a basement who's who's who seems to have a different uh, view way of thinking right so I think great big companies get built because of a different uh, way of thinking because they have a long term. Uh, way of thinking and so i think that's why sody is growing because my view is long term and my view is you know how do i take this company and make it the next great multinational canadian companies
0: i'm gonna cite a statistic that you'll be familiar with so in the past five years 183 canadian companies have been acquired nearly 70 percent by u.s firms so what's the key issue that you see with respect to uh canadian businesses that are selling to foreign buyers specifically
1: i think uh we are um, you know, wiring our younger generation the wrong way. I, I think the universities are today almost like teaching these kids to really do a startup and then sell out, and that they can't really succeed, right? And uh, the the problem is is the moment you get a VC in the house, a VC is not really in general. A VC is not interested in a long-term strategy, right? The VC's Really taking someone else's money, and their job is to take that company and sell out in a few years, or get their money back in a few years, um, you know, with a big profit. So that means, the moment you take a VC, normally well, within three to five years, you go to exit. And I think most Canadian startups they they know exactly what they're getting into, right? And and that, you know, that payday is is enough. I think that culture has to change. I think uh, the educators have to really. Uh, help these kids think longer term. I think governments have to provide the support systems so that uh, these these startups really can really think uh, in terms of a longer future in Canada, right? I think we have to kind of um, get people to think bigger, right? So, you know, you, you're not playing to get, you know, play junior A. You're you're playing. You should be playing to really play in the professional leagues, to play in the NHL.
0: I understand what you're saying about that longer-term perspective, but what about the other side of this coin? So, so scaling a business is is very hard. Um, you know, entrepreneurship is difficult. It takes a great deal of time and effort and stress to build something that's, um, you know, of any significance or at least you know, has some sort of staying power. And I'll say that not every Canadian entrepreneur wants that. You know, many, in fact, just are happy to create an asset that they can sell in order to create the lifestyle that they want for themselves their family let's say
1: i think a lot of people question whether they can do it mm-hmm. right i think some people if you uh, looked at their company and i don't know they sold it maybe they got 10 million bucks or something and they sell sold, sold that startup right and if you had to ask them hey you know what if you could keep this company and that company would be worth uh i don't know of half a billion dollars in a few years right you know would would that be exciting and i think most people would answer yeah that would be really cool but they question whether they can get from where they are to to that 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 end gate, right? So a lot of people, I think, uh, uh, don't do that because they they're also not sure. I think some percentage of those people that actually sell out are not sure if they can, if they can do it. Mm-hmm. So I think there's an opportunity for education. I think there's an opportunity for governments to really um, have those let, let's say those support systems that really. Are geared for scaling rather than for starting uh, starting up, um, and you know if I l- answer your question directly, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, that kind of just, but it's not really if you look on on a national level, it's really not good for Canada, right? Because if you look, if you look at a lot of those those startups, they they take in you know funding and and whatnot from the from the government. Um, and really, the the end product gets owned by a foreign entity. So so the the net proceeds of that taxpayer money that went to that company to educate those people to uh, and to really support that startup really it was typically you know the net proceeds of all that the IP um, you know even the from those revenues the taxes really go all back to the U.S. right. So if it's bought by a U.S. company, so it's not an efficient system for Canada. So I, so I think. You know if you want to think really small and all that sure that's okay but I think there's an opportunity to really educate people to really think better if you look at the Americans right they have such so many great brands when you think of great tech brands I mean you know you could you could probably name a hundred if you look at a great tech Canadian tech brands you, you know you're hard hard pressed to name one I, I mean great tech brands I mean that are known on the world stage Right. So if you go to Germany and you ask a German, hey, name a great tech brand, I bet you uh, they would say, well, there was Nortel and there was Blackberry. I bet you that they would they won't be able to name anything beyond that. So that happens. Those things happens by having the government support systems, but also how you educate people to really think about success.
0: Maybe Shopify. Um, I don't know. Let me ask you about Shopify for one second. So it's one example of a prominent Canadian growth story in tech but they took plenty of us backed private equity before going public. So I get that, but they also rejected the idea of moving headquarters down to Silicon Valley. They doubled down on Ottawa uh, instead. Do you view them as a role model? Not for me.
1: I, I, I think when you, the moment you have, um, foreign ownership in there, it's not really, uh, you know, you're not really serving Canada's, uh, best interests. You know, some of, some of the proceeds of, uh, some of the proceeds are really going to go back to uh, another country, right? So the, the best bang for the Canadian taxpayer, uh, the best bang for Canada is if those, those companies are 100% Canadian and, and 100% of the, of the output, the IP, really the, even the tax generated generated from that company really stays, stays back here in Canada.
0: What about people that say, um, okay, so Carl, let's take the city of Toronto, for example. So in the last 15 years or so, the city has exploded, the economy has boomed, uh, real estate has boomed. And regardless of who the end buyers are, um, the growth that we've seen in the city of Toronto is because companies are being built here and they're being subsequently sold. Isn't that something to be, f- to sort of be proud of?
1: The the question, it depends on how ambitious you are, right? The, I, I think Canadians have so much more potential. I, I think. I think Canadians can be so much more. I mean we have universities that produce, you know, the, the some of the best, brightest people in the world. In the world, uh, you know, uh you know, universities like University of Waterloo and University of Toronto, they're known around the world of of having such great educational systems. So we're producing the best talent, but we can't produce a great um Canadian brand, right? So what are we becoming? We we're becoming um, you know, like India, right? Like the Americans outsource to India, and they they get the brand name, they, they get the the total increase to their GDP. I, I think I think Canada can do much much more. Don't we want another Wayne Gretzky? Don't we want another Bobby Orr? Or should we just settle for, um, you know, creating uh, somebody who just played junior A? So I think it's the same in tech, right? I think Canada can create those those next uh, great companies that are really going to inspire the, the generations to come right we need role models right our role models shouldn't necessarily be american
0: i'll throw mary lemieux and Connor mcdavid into that basket too as a hockey fan uh, <laughs> two more canadians um maybe the issue with shopify is that uh, tobias lukey isn't uh canadian he, he's german maybe he doesn't have the same core values uh as a Canadian would if if it was founded by somebody that was born here. I don't know, just speculating. Um, let me ask you about the, you mentioned the talent. So tech talent, there is uh, a bit of a shortage in Canada. A, a lot of our talent, it's homegrown is being uh, sucked out of here and it's going to other places, specifically the US. So let's take Amazon specifically, because uh, I know that you've talked about this. So. If Amazon opens headquarters here, which it, I know it increasingly looks like they're not going to do that. There's about three or four other cities that are that are front runners. Um, but hypothetically speaking, if Amazon um, created their second headquarters here, wouldn't that be an advantage to keep tech talent on home soil?
1: No, um, basically, if you look at the key uh, software engineering skills and those sort of things that Amazon is coming here for um, those um, that that category of talent is at full employment here especially in the this southern ontario you know th- there's a huge shortage of that grade of talent right the only people in that mark in that segment that are unemployed are people who are probably not you know really good software engineers and, and those sort of things so the top people are you know being sought after to, to really to really uh, bring them to your company so we're kind of fighting with each other because there's no not enough talent here, right? So what does Saudi do? We not only recruit here, we go to foreign universities in different countries, in in the UK, in the Czech Republic, in Russia, etc. And we are trying to lure that talent into here because there's not enough good talent. So in a market that's already in full full employment, you you park in in Amazon here. What are they doing? They're just going to move talent away from you know scaling canadian companies and they're going to move into amazon right so what's going to happen you're shutting down those canadian companies um and by getting them to move to amazon and and these companies have a, an advantage the americans when they come in here they have the benefit of um you know their revenues accumulate mostly in u.s dollars right so they can pay even higher a canadian company you know can't afford to pay you know $180,000 a year or something like that for a, a software developer, Amazon might be able to do that. So, so that, that, that shifts these people away. It, it uh, raises the bar or the price, you know, it's becoming more and more expensive. So it actually has the effect of really, you know, crushing Canadian companies. I, I actually took a visit to, uh, I, I went on a, on a tour of the Google complex in Waterloo. And while I was there, I, I talked to a number of the software developers, and I said, "Hey, you know, where would you work from before?" And every single one of them had worked for one of the other tech companies in in that uh, Waterloo area. Uh, so all they did is move those kids, <laughs> moved all those people away from those companies, and now those companies are have have bigger problems because um, you know Google is punching away their talent. So creating jobs is 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 useful where where there's people who who have a certain skill and cannot get a job, that then you say you're creating a job because those people now will be able to find work. But if you actually are coming here largely for the tech talent and there's not enough already here, you're just moving jobs, you're not creating jobs.
0: So why does the Canadian government not see this? So specifically as it relates to courting US tech companies, um, we, we talked about Amazon already, um Google Sidewalk Labs is another example why are canadian leaders devoting so much time into attracting us tech companies here if this is going to be the end result
1: i, I personally think they're just enamored by those american brands they they're not really they they're not really doing things that are really in the best interest of of canadian tech firms and there's been a lot of articles uh, in the papers, there's been a lot of conversation with Canadian tech companies, a lot of organized, uh, there's a lot of CEOs organized into different uh, organizations who have had, uh, you know, a lot of discussion with various, uh, you know, various MPs at the federal level in particular. So they know very, very well that 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 there's a huge surge of tech talent. They know very, very well that Canadian tech companies uh, do not like that behavior. And uh, especially at the time when they were You know uh trying to woo amazon here there's many many articles in you know the globe and other publications to really uh, from canadian cus in fact uh uh, to really talk about that
0: let me ask you about some key lessons learned so you've now been an entrepreneur for it's coming up on uh, over 20 years now what advice would you give to your younger self and by younger self i'll say You as an entrepreneur in your first three years of business, what advice would you give?
1: My advice would be: is do something you love, do something you're passionate, do something uh, where your heart is, and do not do it for the money.
0: What if the passion is really to just start something, start something, uh, start a business, um, but that sort of aspiring entrepreneur doesn't quite know how to marry um, whatever it is they're passionate about with this idea. Of starting something
1: i personally think is that thing you do uh whether it's you're a carpenter or you're a painter or you're uh you know you want to create a you're a software engineer type of person trying to create a tech company i think you know you can have varying degrees of success but the best you can be is based on the thing that you are really passionate about and if you don't have anything you're passionate about yeah it's going to be harder
0: for those first-time entrepreneurs, I think failure or the fear of failure is a big deal. And if you come from a family where failure is not sort of, I want to say celebrated, but it's not a thing that's accepted, it can oftentimes be a really difficult thing.
1: Yeah, even in my family, when I just started, everybody thought I was nuts, right? So uh, they thought, you know, you did this university degree, you, you can get a job. You know, why, what are you doing? Have you become lazy? You know, are you having some sort of hippie moment, you know, you're, you're becoming a bum, you're sitting in the basement, you're not working, you know, so, so people, there's an expectation that you've got an education, you should go get a job. Right. And if you're working in your basement, that's not a job. So I heard that, I heard that from, from everyone. So, so a lot of people questioned me, you know, even good friends, you know, um, wondered like I was having some sort of midlife crisis. So it's, um, yeah, and, and I would say in my family in Canada, everybody questioned what I was doing.
0: We're winding back a little bit to your no exit mindset. So there, there has to be. I know you're in it for the long term. Uh, we've established that, but there has to be some sort of succession plan at the end of the day. Like, what is it for Soti? What's the next chapter for you?
1: Well, I told you my big goal is to really um, create the next great multinational Canadian uh, company that, that, you know, you could go to anywhere on this planet and you could say Sodi and they'd say, ah, I know who that is. And, and hopefully, you know, we are, they think Google, Sodi, you know, that kind of thing, right? So it's, it's, it's a lofty goal, but I think lofty kind of awards start with a lofty goal, right? So that's my, my lofty goal. Um, but I think, um, you know, another thing I'm very interested in is, um, you know, getting kids maybe more down to earth, getting kids interested in tech. So I think, um, you know, if we look at it from a broader humanity perspective, um, we as we go forward in the future, we're going to need people, y- young kids to be interested in scientists, you know, to to uh, cure diseases, to deal with climate issues uh, to deal with all sorts of problems and, and a scary thing is a lot of kids these days think maths and sciences are too hard or too difficult or too boring and so um i am also interested in, in really what we can do and, and what and how to change our educational system because i don't believe our education system is really wired to get kids excited in, in maths and sciences so we have to kind of change this perspective and, and change how we're teaching technology. So I'm also interested in that goal. That's of course, side effect of that. Yes, it would help Sony, but it would help Canada as a whole and, and it would help um, humanity.
0: Okay. So if you were head of the ministry for a sec um, and you could implement a couple of quick fixes there, uh, what would they be?
1: Let's talk about computer science, right? So imagine you're this person, you grow up and you love technology and you love computer science and, and, and you love creating software and you go up and you get a... a I don't know a degree in computer science, and and um, and what the technology is constantly changing and moving, right? So, so first of all, if that's what you love, you, your first instinct would be to go work for a software company. So you're not going to become a teacher, right? Because that's not how software engineers think. But yet, teachers are trying to kid, teach kids about software and computers and and all that and whatever that whatever. A person knows today changes. So, it's a, technology is a very dynamic field. It's changing, you know, the, yep. where uh, there's new stuff going on every day. So, getting people who are not really connected in the space and using technology and staying up to date to teach kids um, and people who probably aren't as passionate as the ones out there in the field is kind of a problem. Like, you can do that, you can have teachers teach math because math largely is the same like i mean the math i learned and the math that my kids are learning is 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 the same i I know that because i have two teenage boys and they regularly ask me to help them in in math and physics i've forgotten stuff and i have to read the text but it's but it's it's the same with computer science i think there has to be more direct involvement from private sector from business to really make sure you're teaching kids stuff that's relevant right and i think the government has to create this mechanism to really teach kids stuff that is relevant right in some schools they managed to do in a few schools they managed to do it really really well i have two sons they went to different high schools and one of them they were teaching them stuff from the 70s uh and the in the other one they're actually teaching them pretty relevant stuff it's a haphazard uh, approach to how we're teaching. That creates a haphazard output, right? So the people who are being not taught relevant new stuff by people who are excited and passionate about the technology, you're just turning those kids off. It's it's not nothing about the app. It's nothing to do with their aptitude. It's to do with how we teach them.
0: That's great perspective. Um, okay, we've only got a few minutes left. Let's talk about SOTI One. This is launching uh, shortly, right? November November first or something like that. What is SOTI One, and, and how do you explain it to listeners?
1: So any company organization that's really trying to leverage uh, mobile uh, really to solve a business problem, there's several challenges they need to solve, right? And, and typically they have to go to one company and buy one um, technology solution to ha- to solve one part of the challenge and another from another company and, and so on. And then you have to take all these technologies and corral them together and make them work together. Uh, and, and that generally is a very difficult problem. And these technologies don't talk to one another, so it's very clunky integration. Mm -hmm. So we saw this problem a few years ago and and we thought, hey, if we solve those key uh, problems and we get our software to even talk, we can actually deliver functionality that's not possible with siloed solutions, right? So so that's what Sodium Platform is all about. And, And what we do is we simplify how um, customers can what they need to create apps so there's a certain category of apps where you don't need to hire programmers and so with with uh, our soti snap uh tool we can create apps literally in, in a matter of minutes uh with um, no software no need to write code at all uh we created a way to support your apps and, and your users while they're in in the field uh you know with our integrated desk solution it's got special tools in there so you can diagnose problems, you know, remotely. Um, Then we have our SOTI Control, which is our enterprise mobility management solution, which means you can set security policies. You can push out new software updates. You can get alerted when bad things happen. You can track where your devices are and people, et cetera. We have our our SOTI Connect, which is our IoT piece, where you can add hardware, sensors, pressure, temperature, et cetera, really take your business to the next level. And you can do that again in an integrated format, and and we have um, so a so uh, uh, Soti central, which is a collaboration piece to really share information between us, our customers, and our partners. So we've taken those core business challenges and we brought them together to make it easier for customers.
0: Well, congratulations! Super exciting stuff. Where do you want to point users to in these last few minutes, um, or or listeners to, I should say, who want to learn more about Soti, uh, more about you, Carl, personally?
1: to so Soti.net, so S-O-T-I.net, and there's lots of information. To to get a hold of me, uh, perhaps the best place is to look me up on LinkedIn. So happy to talk to anybody who has any questions, uh, you know, about me, about Soti, or any questions in general. Uh, I uh, participate a lot on on, on LinkedIn. Uh, so 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 th- those would be the two core places uh, you can reach me.
0: Okay, well, um, sincerely appreciate all your perspective. This was a really, really interesting conversation. Congratulations on all your success so far. Um, You're on your way from building uh, Sodi into uh, the next Bobby Orr of tech in Canada, or Wayne Gretzky or whoever (laughs) you want to draw the analogy to. So congratulations, and uh, really enjoyed having you on. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you for your time. E2 is brought to listeners in part by ScriberBase. Visit ScriberBase.com for more info. Indochino, made to measure suits and shirts at a great price. More at Indochino.com. And WeWork, where businesses thrive. More at WeWork.com. If you like E2, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume your audio. Leave us a review. Even become an exclusive supporter of the show. Visit glow.fm slash E2 to do so. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on.
1: Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary
0: day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities.
1: So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Today is Working For Me. Do you believe that for yourself?
0: We